ASI, Season 4, Episode 24. My name is Russ Shaw. Here's some Slash featuring Miles Kennedy and the Conspirators. What do we do when trust is absolutely shattered? Not just broken, but shattered like a light bulb. How do we put that back together? We're going to have a conversation that few want to have, but I think it is incredibly important. Today, I get to introduce you to David Colossi of the Snap Network on the ASI Podcast. shadows, they are falling, and the misty eyed are calling. My guest today is David Colossi, who is the director of an organization called SNAP. I am so honored and so humbled to be speaking to you today, man. Um, David, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I really appreciate this opportunity, Russ. So you're, uh, you're over there in the Midwest, over in Missouri. I'm in St. Louis. Uh, SNAP is based in Chicago, however, um, but we've got chapters, of course, all around the uh, the country and increasingly around the world. Yeah, I saw that you're doing uh, an event in Poland soon, right? We're right. involved in right. that. Uh, I'm, I'm not so much involved in that. Uh, that's more the work of our founder and president, Barbara Blaine. But uh, yeah, in in recent years, we've been hearing more and more from survivors in, in other countries. Um, you know, initially, Europe and some of the Western democracies, but, you know, these days we hear from people from you know, literally all over Africa, Asia, South America, and in those parts of the world, we firmly believe that this abuse and cover-up crisis is even more hidden than it is yeah. in, in, say, the United States. So what does SNAP do? What does SNAP stand for, first of all? It stands for the Survivors Network of Those Abused by Priests. Uh, we're a completely independent, non-profit um, support and advocacy group. Uh, we were started about 26 years ago, and our mission is very simple, um, but frankly very overwhelming. Uh, it is to uh, heal the wounded, protect the vulnerable, and expose the truth. Um, we we do two things essentially. Number one, we provide support to people who've been sexually violated by uh, people in any kind of institution, um, priests, nuns, bishops, seminarians in the Catholic context, but also ministers and rabbis. And increasingly, uh, people abused in schools and uh, summer camps and athletic leagues. Um, and the second thing we do is we do sort of public education advocacy uh, and lobbying efforts designed to, again, expose those who commit and conceal sexual violence uh, and try to get better laws that protect innocent kids and vulnerable adults from sexual assault. Yeah, that's that's awesome, man. You guys started as a uh, a group for survival survivors of of 
sexual abuse by by priests, and it just kind of expanded from there, right? Right, exactly. Um, we, you know, we pretty early on began to realize that. Uh, it uh, doesn't really matter what the institutional structure is. If you were hurt by someone in an institution, you've essentially got uh, two battles. One is to recover from the harm perpetrated on you by one individual, but secondly, then you've got to deal with uh, their colleagues and supervisors and the corporate or institutional culture that says, let's hush this up. Um, right. And, uh, you know, it's tough. It doesn't matter whether... You know, it's the the Boy Scouts, or whether it's the Mormon Church, uh, or whether it's a you know Jewish temple. Uh, the same basic dynamics exist. Where, again, you were hurt by one individual, but other individuals and, and a whole institution generally don't respond well when you do come forward. Right, because it's it's not something that folks want to talk about. Sadly, um, exactly, it, exactly. And that's part of the damage of childhood sexual assault and abuse. Um, there's nothing like it that gets to the core of a person. Uh, I'll tell you a little of my story. I started this podcast uh, almost 10 years ago, and it started as kind of an audio blog for me who had been struggling with pornography for 20-plus years. And I had no idea that people would actually listen but but they have over the years, and it's it's gained uh, quite a wide audience. Um, my my recovery uh, experience before the pornography was um, drugs and alcohol. When I was 16, I drank myself uh, to death. I actually died for two minutes. Uh, after that, you'd think that would wise me up. I I quit drinking hard alcohol, but I started getting into smoking pot, methamphetamine. Uh, cocaine. I was a drug dealer for a little while. I dropped out of school. And then I started getting into, you know, I, I went through the 12-step kind of a process a little bit, not totally, but <laughs> I was forced into recovery by the state of Washington. And it was all about treating the illness, right? Like, you have a disease. We need to take care of that. You know, let's stop. So they, it, they would scapegoat like alcohol or drugs. That's your problem. So I got those things taken care of, right? Like I, I'm not, you know, I'm not going to skate. I'm not a, an addict anymore in this area, but I still have this pornography thing and it just wouldn't go away, David. It was just on me for years and years. And then it turned into decades until it, I finally went into, uh, I saw a prostitute. Um, it was, it, it had gotten really bad. My, my sexual compulsion and I didn't really know where it stemmed from. Until, and this is just my story. I know not everyone who deals with this has gone through some sexual assault or sexual abuse. Um, I know that a lot of folks have, though. It's a high percentage. But that was my, my real healing was when I finally started to deal with the fact that I had been sexually assaulted as a child. And when I started going to church and hearing some of the same messages that that were shaming me, right? I mean, the, the the abuser would say things to help keep me quiet, like, uh, you know, if anybody knew your secret, they would never love you, right? Mm. If anybody wow. knew exactly how dirty you really are, they would reject you, you know? 
nobody nobody forced you to come to my house. You kept coming back, you know, like you were this uh, uh, guilty little creature, right? And I believed that shit for years, sure, David. Sure. And and then I'd go to the church and I'd hear the kind of the same thing, like like, hey, you know, you're dirty, you're filthy, you know, Jesus cleanses you of your sin, which is is good and 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 even true, but there's a lot more to it than that. And I and I had just you know I just learned how to keep keep that inner part of myself quiet and and secret for so many years, and and so that was part of a real a real a real break in my healing was realizing where those lies came from, because I believed lies. I, I believed them like they were true about myself, about my heart, and about my soul, and uh, you know that's why I'm, I'm so grateful for for the work you guys are doing. And um, well, how about you, David? What's your story? Do you, how did you well, get involved just, with Snap? Well, let me just say first of all, I, I really, really commend you for your honesty and your recovery, and and not just from addictions, but you know the bigger recovery I think is obviously from the from the childhood sexual trauma, and uh, you know, many, many mm-hmm. people we in SNAP hear from, uh, it's all they can do to deal with their eating disorder or their insomnia or their uh, drinking or whatever, and uh, and many go to their graves not ever having addressed the sexual violence that they suffered as a kid. So I really, really commend you for for doing all of that and, and for being able to talk so openly about it. Um, that's that's just marvelous, um, and I think it sets a great example for others that, you know, no matter what happened to us as kids and no matter how we responded to that pain, we have nothing to be ashamed of, absolutely nothing right. to be ashamed of. Um, and uh, Well, my story um, is that I was abused for roughly from age 12 to 16 by a, by a priest in central Missouri. Um, he, uh, unlike many uh, I repressed the memory after every single time mm-hmm. it happened. He he befriended uh, my whole family, uh, molested uh, three of my brothers, one of whom went on to become a priest and went on to molest kids himself. Um, oh, and basically, you know, we were a working class, large Catholic family and uh, uh, didn't, you know, have money for travel and that sort of thing. And that's kind of how my predator lured me in. He took me on trips, skiing trips to Colorado and to see the ocean in North Carolina and uh, every place in between. And we would be gone sometimes even for as long as a week. And every single time I'd come back home with a big smile on my face and I'd be all excited about all the things we said and did um, and saw. But I had no memory whatsoever of the abuse. He would abuse me always late at night, always when the two of us were uh, in bed uh and I would wake up in the middle of the night and find him on top of me or finding, find him reaching in my pants. And I was utterly terrified. I had no idea what was going on. Um, and so I just laid there frozen until he was mm-hmm. finished. And eventually I'd fall back to sleep. But the next day, again, I had no memory whatsoever. Um, and so uh, essentially fast forward, you know, I, I too engaged in all kinds of, you know, hurtful, self-destructive, inexplicable kinds of behavior uh, starting in during those years and going into my, my 20s and early 30s. And eventually I did recover uh, my memories, and that's when I got involved in SNAP and took some action and, and finally began to kind of point my life in the right direction. So how did, how did you find SNAP, David? Um, well, I... I um, 
the short version, I guess, is I confronted both the priest who molested me and the bishop, uh, and and those were very unhelpful, frustrating, painful conversations. And so I realized that if anything was going to change and if people were going to be warned about my predator, um, I would have to take legal action. So I called a lawyer, and uh, after talking to him, he he was willing to take my case. But he said, look, you know, this, this stuff is can be re-traumatizing, and uh, you're going to need all right. the support you you can possibly get. And there's this terrific organization out there called SNAP. And so that's how I first heard of the group. Oh, that's awesome, man. And it is. It is. It's yeah. it's it's re-traumatizing, but it's it, it's in a good way. I think if you have the right support and the right even therapy or people around you. For me, it was a church of uh, of folks who were like a non-religious kind of crowd who really came alongside me and walked me through and were a safe place for me. When I had all my doubts, even about I, I had to do a top-down deconstruct, reconstruct of my my whole faith, you know, David. And these guys were there enough to to be safe and to and to love me through a very difficult time. I I I use the analogy of like breaking a bone, you know. Like if you get in a, a horrible accident and and a, a, you break your leg, and they have to reset that leg, um, it's going to take. It, it's gonna it's gonna hurt and it might have to be rebroken, right? And yep, so that yep, was part yeah. of my healing. I mean, it felt a lot like that. Like I was having this whole leg reset, and it was tears and it was panic attacks even. But um, on the other end of it, I'm I'm a lot better than I was, and I and I, I it was worth it. Uh, if, if that gives anybody hope, it, it is scary, but it is so worth it. I couldn't agree more. It's all about having support with you when you undergo whatever process, whether it's confronting the perpetrator, whether it's filing a civil lawsuit, whether it's contacting the police, whether it's contacting church officials. You've got to have support with you, and I think uh, you've got to have you know, a reasonable sort of set of expectations. The sad, simple truth is that nothing that can happen in, in the external world, right, no criminal verdict, no civil settlement, no amount of exposing the bad guys. None of that stuff uh, can really magically bring healing to us. We've got to do the hard work of therapy and support groups and 12-step programs. We've got to do all of that ourselves. Um, and I think the only time, really, that people have regrets about the legal process is yeah. if they walk into it somehow... Uh, believing deep down in their heart of hearts, not even consciously, but believing that somehow, well, this is going to make me whole. This is going to restore that childhood that was stolen from me. Uh Uh-uh, that ain't going to happen. That's going to happen through your own hard work. Yeah, and I still have my scars, and and part of that, part of my scars and some of my stuff coming to the surface is is how I I got involved with with you and, and found out about you because I went, you know, I, when, when the Pope visited recently, as this is being recorded, um, the Pope has just left the United States. He did this big tour. It was all over the news. The, the, you know, Pope visits the U.S. and the news media and talk show hosts, and everybody's gushing over Pope Francis. And I'm sitting there um, doing this ministry for nine years, just like, wh- why isn't anybody talking about the sexual abuse? They did start to talk about it, but he's, in my opinion, he's kind of addressed it like a, a politician would. 
Um, right. Here's this unfortunate thing that happened. And, you know, I mean, my headline, David, would have been um, a very wealthy uh, man whose organization uh, raped and molested American children, and he dodged the settlements successfully, visits the U.S. That'd be a long headline, but <laughs> sort of my <laughs> anger. And I, I went on a tweet rant, man, <laughs> about this stuff for a couple days. I I probably need to schedule another point with my therapist. Well, it was traumatic, quite honestly. The Pope's visit was traumatic on many, many survivors, not just those hurt in the Catholic Church, because you you nailed it, Russ. I mean, in in essence, a man who presides over an institution um, in which hundreds of thousands of boys and girls uh, were raped and sodomized, and, you know, countless numbers of their supervisors and colleagues knew or suspected the abuse and did nothing. The man presiding over that institution, uh, you know, was welcomed as a as a celebrity and hero. And the sad fact is that, you know, this stuff is still going on. Um, yeah. And I guess, you know, to me that is perhaps the most frustrating part about it is that church officials have done such a superb PR job of saying and suggesting and implying that this is pretty much all in the past and all we got to do now is put a few band-aids on a few people and move forward. But in fact, especially in the developing world, you know, this crisis has barely begun to surface, barely begun to surface. And the Pope knows that, and his top aides know that. I mean, uh, you know, literally today, you know, somewhere on the globe, is, is a child is being sexually assaulted by a priest, a nun, a seminarian, a bishop, um, and to sort of imply or pretend otherwise is really unbelievably disingenuous. Um, so I'm sorry that the, the trip was traumatic for you, but, it, but but please know that you were certainly not alone. Many many people were frustrated and, and and hurt by the almost you know idolatry surrounding this pope. Yeah, absolutely. And that's and, and let me throw in too, if you don't good mind. word for it you know, right there. Well, thanks. I mean, you know, let's let's uh, you know be charitable and honest here. I mean, he clearly is a very smart man. He's a caring man. He's a humble man. You know. Uh, he, I think that his compassion for the poor is, is genuine. Um, in a lot of ways, he walks the walk, right? Uh, he shuns ostentatiousness. But, but all, all that being said, it seems to me that, that you know, a doctor's first rule should be do no harm, and that should be a pope's first rule. And so his first priority ought to be, you know, stopping uh, the abuse of kids um, and, and punishing those who enable the abuse so as to deter, you know, cover-ups in the future. And that's just not what he's doing. And it's, uh, it's that's really right. And it, it goes back to this basic idea of, you know, I mean, the Bible, what the Bible says about forgiveness and reconciliation. I mean, when you forgive, you know, that doesn't mean that the relationship is reconciled. Reconciliation takes place, you know, in in a relationship. And when the when the church is not willing to make amends. I mean, here's the here's the even harder part of what happened with you, David, than what, with what happened with me. What, what happened with me was just some um, some kid, uh, 18, 19, I'm not sure, who molested uh, me and some other boys in the neighborhood. Um, with what happened to you, here's a man who represents um, good people, right? Here's a man who represents the church. Here's a man who represents God. And 
and and so you you come forward with this that you've had you know repressed memories over i had repressed memories i still do i can't even remember the dude's face i mean i there's pieces i remember bits of pieces of what happened to me um but yeah when you when you go to the church and 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 say hey this is what happened this is i know this happened to me and you're you need to take some responsibility for what happened in, in as to me as a child and to these innocent kids and then when the church doesn't doesn't even try to make amends with you i mean they don't even try to make it right they don't even it, it's you're you're revictimized you're just you're called a liar and oh this didn't happen right i mean this is a lot of these cases and thank you thank you for talking about it in the present tense because that's really true um just just uh, today, the Philadelphia Inquirer reports that uh, the Philadelphia Archbishop is fighting in court to stop discovery in a civil child sex abuse suit. Um, why am I bringing that up? Because, well, the, he's doing that literally within 48 hours of the Pope saying, you know, we can't, I think the exact quote was, you know, this abuse cannot be kept secret any longer. So the Pope says this abuse cannot be kept secret any longer. And 48 hours later, you know, we learn that the Philly Archbishop is, is in court with his lawyers, paid for by prisoners' donations. <laughs> um, right. Best and brightest lawyers paid for. Yeah. 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 And so uh, it, it is, it, it's, it's a double betrayal. And in saying that, I don't mean to minimize the abuse that anybody suffers from anybody at any time. I mean, it's, uh, it's all horrific. It's all damaging. Um, it's all hurtful. And whether it's your uncle or whether it's a stranger or whether it's a principal or whether it's a priest, you know, we in SNAP, our hearts go out to every single person who was hurt as a kid and, and had their innocence stolen and their trust violated and, and in many, many regards their whole lives, you know, devastated by it. It's a, it's a horrible, horrible thing. But I think it is especially horrible when when you have the sense that it could have been prevented and in these institutions – that seems to be the case more and more and more often when there's a little bit of investigation. You know, almost always evidence surfaces that somebody else on the payroll had an inkling that this man or woman was sexually violating this child. And at best, they usually kept secret. And at yeah. worst, they sometimes actively cover it up. And that's what we're fighting to change. And I think the the case of uh, the Penn State uh, football coach I think was a, is a great example of not not a way that it worked perfectly, but when the organization found out about it, I mean to me Penn State has got twelve times more integrity than the Roman Catholic Church ever did, because these this this guy was again worshipped. I mean he was the football coach. He was the he was there was a statue of him that they took down. Um, this man is locked away now, and that's as it should be. He's unrepentant. He, he doesn't think he did anything wrong, like a lot of these priests. Uh, not all, but the ones the ones that that are really sorry, the ones that really did do damage, and 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 want to make amends. I mean, I I, I would I would implore them to to just. I mean, the twelve steps. There's two of the twelve steps. Uh, Step eight says make a list of those who you've harmed and hurt yeah. and and try and work towards repented reconciliation, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and then step nine is that you are actually sorry that you, you know, when, you were, when we're sorry, we don't pretend like, oh, I got caught. You know, I mean, that's 
a lot of these these cases, and they just so in this discovery case, is this guy trying to get around a DNA test? Is that what's going on, or? Um, no, it's a civil case, and um, it's a tragic. They're all tragic, but this one's especially tragic because the uh, the victim of this priest uh, ended up taking his life. So the suit is oh, on behalf of his family members. Um, and uh, this is just how, how church officials handle or respond to almost all these cases. Um, despite saying all the nice things in public, in private, and behind closed doors, and in courtrooms, they fight tooth and nail against turning over any documents or having to be deposed or and they use unbelievably <sighs> clever quite honestly um but stunning tactics they, for example you know bishops have argued in court that they cannot be held accountable for the crimes mm-hmm. of a priest because priests are independent contractors now think about that for a minute wow. i mean this is not some loosey goosey you know hippie commune uh, this right. is an incredibly rigid, clear, structured hierarchy in which you know the the bishop gets to decide who becomes a priest, and then the bishop, you know, with a snap of his fingers, can assign a priest to this parish or to live in that town. I mean, it's a, it's an absolute monarchy. Uh, and the bishops have all the power, but no, no, no. When a victim seeks justice in court, suddenly a bishop says, "Well, I'm powerless. These these priests are really just independent contractors." And they've also uh, in Philly as well, for example, one uh, in one horrible case. They actually countersued a victim's parents, claiming, well, if you're going to hold us, church officials, responsible for the crimes of Father Terrence Pinkowski, you know, to some extent you've got to hold the parents responsible because they're the ones that said, sure, Father Terrence, go ahead and take Eddie out to the movies tonight, that kind of thing. So their legal wow. tactics are just wildly contradict you know, their public claims of, of compassion for victims. And, uh, and it doesn't really seem to be changing all that much unfortunately well thank god you're doing something about it you guys over there at snap of uh you know you're you're making the ripple effects you're stirring things up i wish more people would pay attention um <laughs> i certainly have and uh i'm going to be directing people towards your your website and your organization as well um but that's you know that's well, the biggest thing about this is is uh is is a faith issue, you know. I mean, that for me is one of the the most heartbreaking things about these stories, is the families and the individuals who. Um, I I'm a Christian. I believe in God. I believe that Jesus died for my sins and all of that. Um, but there's so much theology that can cover, and it can be an illegal kind of a, oh, you know, like Jesus is your your defense attorney that atoned right. The whole atonement can look like a, a uh, you're getting off on some technicality, right, as a legal issue, and that's not what it is. I laugh because some of these guys, I mean, they have degrees in theology. They've studied books of the Bible and, and, and their whole lives, yet they don't get this very simple aspect of what it means to to love another person, what it means to have human decency, right, David? Yeah, no, yeah. Oh, I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. I mean, and I'm, and I'm glad you brought up forgiveness, too, because, you know, we see we see that belief being misapplied and misused in so many of these cases. We see church officials saying, you know, can't you forgive the, the perpetrator? And we in SNAP always say, well, of course we can, and we encourage people to forgive their perpetrators, but... 
you know, that doesn't mean giving them another opportunity to hurt another child. I mean, we we can exactly. forgive, you know, the the bus driver, right, who who uh, drives drunk and hurts kids, but it's irresponsible and immoral, we believe, to then give that bus driver the keys to another school bus. Right? That's not that's, that's right. not forgiveness. That's that's folly. You're not you're not doing that bus driver any favor either by giving him another right. chance to end up, you know with guilt on his conscience and, and perhaps a prison term. So you're right. It's um, it's really mind-boggling how how oftentimes church officials can can stand up in the pulpit and preach about you know dignity of life and respecting others and treating others with compassion, and yet when their ox is gored, so to speak, you know when it's their parish, their church, their denomination that's on the firing line because they enable child sex crimes, suddenly those lessons seem to oftentimes just go go right out the window. Yeah. And it's yeah, it's it's just so kind of when the healing takes place. For me it was just kind of simple about how how we're supposed to actually love other people, how we're supposed to define things like like freedom and uh and and love and and affection and compassion. Um, how, how about you, David? How, how has your family handled all of this uh, from a, maybe a spiritual level, from a deeper heart level? Well, um, most of my family, um, still, still Catholic. Um, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not, um, I would say in, in our 20,000 members in SNAP, you know, I would say the majority of them don't really have a faith life and the minority who do, uh, usually spent years or even decades kind of struggling in spiritual uh, loneliness, estrangement, doubt, confusion before they ever, you know, finally found a faith life again. Um, but it's been, of course, very, very hard on my family. I've got a, uh, as I mentioned, I've got a brother who uh, went on to molest kids himself. And, yeah. and my parents were, you know, deeply, deeply devout. My my father passed away several years ago. My mom is still a church-going Catholic. Um, but I just can't even really begin to understand the betrayal that, you know, they must have felt. Because here's a man who they let into their home, uh, you know, fed repeatedly, and, and just treated as if he were really kind of, in many respects, their very, very, very best friend. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, he sexually assaulted, you know, four of their six children and these are parents who you know spent countless hours helping the church in so many respects my mom used to decorate our parish you know the, the with the altar and the uh wall hangings and that sort of thing she's an artist and my you know my both my folks were eucharistic ministers um this is something that i think really has barely begun to be addressed and that is the sort of uh ripple effect on the victims loved ones um, it's yeah. just, uh, in many respects, I think it's it's sometimes even harder for them than for the victims because as victims, we're in the driver's seat, right? We can decide to go yeah. to therapy or not. We can decide to disclose. We can decide to call the cops. We can decide to file a suit. We can make all those decisions, and all that our spouses and our siblings and our parents can do is just support us, right? They're, they they We have the ability to regain some of our power and control. As hard as it is, we, we do have that ability. And our folks and our loved ones really don't feel that they have that kind of power. Uh, it's it's tragic. It really is. Yeah, it is a it is a foundation shaking thing. But uh, 
one of the things that, you know, I was going through your website and some of the stuff that's going on with SNAP, and I'm encouraged to see some of the healing that's taken place. Like you've had members who've, who've written books. Um, one member got an award for from Kindle for a book recently. Yes. Yes, she's a wonderful person. In fact, she's from Seattle. Uh, Mary Dispenza is her name, and she wrote a, a terrific book um, about her experiences and her and her recovery. Um, uh, Mary's just a, a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful person. But yeah, that that's what keeps us going. Quite honestly, um, you know, we see very little progress within these organizational hierarchies. But conversely, we see tons of progress by our own members. We have people who are agoraphobic couldn't leave their house and now they've got jobs. We've got people who dropped out of, you know, high school because of the abuse and now they've got PhDs. We see people who, you know, couldn't tell anyone of this horrible secret they were carrying and like you said, now they're, you know, accomplished authors. Um one of our members in California, Joel Castix, just wrote a a, a book about uh, prevention uh preventing abuse that's getting a lot of uh, attention. So yeah, we see uh, you know, we have these support groups in about 65 cities across the country, and we literally sometimes see people get better month by month um, when they show up. It's uh, I'm not a professional shrink, and, and we make sure that people understand that SNAP is a peer support group, right? Right. So I can't I, – I don't think I do a very good job of explaining how or why it happens because um, I don't really understand how or why it happens. All I know is that, you know, based on my 26 years' involvement in this group – you know, sharing your secret with people who understand does have yeah. a, a transforming uh, impact on folks. Now, Absolutely. let's not kid ourselves. Let's you know, let's not kid ourselves. As I said earlier, you know, that stolen childhood that's not going to come back, um, and the years of drinking and drugging and suicidal thoughts, you know, that those aren't going to vanish. But you know, people can and do get better uh, by attending support groups, by speaking up. Um, we see it happen over and over and over again, and it's the most rewarding kind of work I can ever imagine doing. Yeah, it it is, and and I've seen one one of the things that I've seen, David, is that you know when people come together and talk about the truth of their circumstances, you know, I mean we there's a, there's a thing in social psychology. I li- I'm a geek. I listen to psych lectures. I drive all day, so I, I listen to psych lectures and classes. That was part of my recovery, too, just trying to understand myself a little bit. And, sure. and then doing this podcast, I have thousands of people who are listening, and then I'm trying to, you know, maybe gain some knowledge. And one of the things I learned from social psychology is that uh, it's this thing called attribution error, right? We we tend to look at another person, and we attribute their person to the to, to themselves, right? Like, if I, if I do poorly on a test, for example... Um, it's because I had bad pizza the night before or I stayed up too late or maybe I had a few too many beers. Um, but if you do bad poorly on a test, it's because you're an idiot, right? <laughs> so I know my circumstances very, very well. I'm, I'm, I'm keen to knowing my circumstances. But when we come together as a group and truth you know, just kind of comes out in our stories, we get to know one another, there's a certain authenticity that I think that we that breeds the birthing out of that truth, and and makes it real and makes it alive and and, and it makes it life giving. Like it's almost like oxygen, you know. Even if it's not led by, and some of these groups can get a bully in the group, and then they usually bust apart. Oh, of course, you know. Yep. But I mean, the, the the thing is though, when that 
when that thing's held together with love and compassion and, and truth, it, it is, you know, we do see some, I've heard some great stories too, uh, folks who, you know, eye to eye, face to face, even online, there's these online groups now where yep. people, you know, they meet and it's face to face. It's like a Skype thing. And, and uh, a lot of healing is taking place because, because of that authenticity doesn't happen in a vacuum. Um, right, right. I would no, I, encourage I anyone that is, you know, don't don't stay alone. It's it's so easy to stay alone, but it's it's like mold growing in the darkness. You know, it just gets worse over time. Yeah. Oh, that's so true. That's so true. I I, I tell survivors all the time. You know, sexual violence is is much more like cancer than it is like a headache. Right. If you've got a headache and you do nothing. Chances are pretty darn good you're going to get over it, right? Uh, right? If you have cancer and you do nothing, we know the outcome. And so, you know, uh, the, the, you've got to address it. You, met, you brought up that beautiful analogy of the broken leg, right? Um, it is. Abuse is like, is like, it's like a cancer. It's like an operation. You, you don't want to address it. Nobody wants to go to the hospital and lay down on that operating table. But, you know, you do know if you can find the courage to do that, the odds are very, very high that your leg is going to recover, that the cancer is going to be cut out, and that you have a, a real positive chance. But by golly, if you do stay trapped in shame and silence and fear and self-blame and confusion, I don't see how you can recover. In fact, I also say to survivors oftentimes, hey, there's a whole lot of ways to recover, right? Some people do it through self-help groups. Some do it through books. Some do it through therapy. Some do it through group therapy. Some do it through spirituality. But the one the one common denominator is, you know, staying in isolation won't work for any of us. Any yeah. of us. And it's not, you know, and it's not safe. It's just not. And it, it just, you know, well, that was one of my uh, my things too is is knowing knowing that I was going to have to address this because part of my uh, recovery, I started having some of these repressed memories like you did start to come to the surface and they would bubble up from time to time. Sometimes they'd bubble up in groups. Sometimes they'd bubble up because I heard another person's story of their own sexual sure. abuse. And I, and I remembered these bits and pieces. I still have missing pieces, but I, I, I remember, I know. And then, and then once I started to remember this stuff, I couldn't get it out of my head. Um, I remembered the things that I did remember, I remembered everything about them. And that was the part where, you know, for me, it was uh, it was my relationship with God. It was my relationship with, with Christ, um, not in the religious way, but in the in the love way that it that sometimes life and love is painful. And uh, there's a, there's a beautiful analogy in one of C.S. Lewis's books, uh, the Don Treader where this little boy uh, turns into a dragon. And, you know, he's kind of rebellious. He doesn't want to listen. And then he and he steals some gold and turns into this dragon. And there's this scene where Aslan, uh, the lion figure in, in the book, he, he has to um, take this suit off him because it's like a suit that he's wearing, this big dragon suit. And it just about brought me to tears. The movie is... Not as good as the book, but there was that scene where, 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 where you know, the Christ figure in the book had to like unzip this dragon-like 
you know, and he's and he's sitting there and he's trying to, you know, before before Aslan approaches him, he's sitting there by himself and he's trying to get the scales off him, right? He's just like, you know, and that was me. I, there's so many years, like, God, please, I can't do this. I'm, I'm not, stop this. I, I don't want to behave like this. I don't want to be this person. And, and just kind of scratching at those scales, trying to get them to go off. And, and I just had to lay back and relax and let go and let, and let the peace wash over me and have that dragon suit zipped off. And that doesn't mean, like you said, it doesn't mean it, make, it makes it all go away and everything's peachy keen now and everything's great. But there, there is a place where my scars, um, my scar tissue, has helped me do, do this podcast, has helped me speak into the lives of other people. And then there's my wounds that I still have. But that scar tissue, the the the, the my, I don't have enough willpower to have walked through my story. I guess is what I'm I'm trying to say. But I, I I do believe there is a God and that He does love us and that He could have come and meet us in these very hard, harsh times. And when I was crying out, going, "Where were you when this man was raping me?" Um, he was there through that too. And uh, it, I mean. Thanks again, David, for what you do, man. Oh, certainly. My pleasure. And thanks for what you do. And, I, and let me just say, too, I, I really, really applaud people who who do find comfort and healing and solace in any kind of a religious faith. Um, you know, it is so easy to get mired in complete and utter distrust, uh, yeah. not just of God, but of, but of you know, other humans it's so easy for us to isolate ourselves and to say i've been hurt deeply i'm not trusting anybody anymore and um and that is a hollow hollow painful and lonely existence for people and uh it's ironic it's tragic but the, the one the one thing that you know i think universally predators take from kids is that natural trust that kids have and unfortunately recovery involves us rebuilding that trust. Maybe it's first with a spouse. Maybe it's first with our best friend. Maybe it's first with uh, our, you know, uh, our parents. But we've got to have enough trust that we break our silence and disclose our pain. And that's the that's when healing can really, I think, first uh, first begin to happen. Yeah, breaking through that layer of attribution error and judgment towards others, thinking that you right, know. right. Oh, they they can't possibly understand my pain or they can't they they can't possibly overlook uh, all of the hurtful behaviors that I've engaged in they can't all they'll do is they'll think I'm making excuses for my alcoholism that's what they'll think so I'm just not even going to tell them what the what the root cause really is that's that's what we got to get past that kind of self-defeating uh thinking that's right thanks again david man i appreciate yeah. what you guys do it is uh what what is the uh the website address it's there? It's snap snapnetwork.org snapnetwork.org and the full name of the group again is the Survivors Network of those abused by priests and we would beg people don't be uh deterred by the word priest in our title we really do try to help absolutely everybody who comes to us especially people hurt in any kind of a institution or organization um, so we'd love to hear from people. Well, thanks man and much love and Thank you very, very much. We really appreciate this opportunity.
There goes David, uh, the director of Snap. And, you know, these guys have been criticized for being like the judge and jury, right? And that's really not this man's heart. It's not the organization's heart. Um, the funny thing is, is they'll show up at some of these churches and not with mean picket signs and stuff like that, but with pictures of themselves as children. Um, just standing there and being a voice like that. Um, these organizations don't get to continue to do this to children, and they don't get to continue to victimize the victims uh, and, you know, and hide. There's nothing biblical about that, all right? Uh, I'm a Christian. I love Jesus with all my heart and the biggest message that I could have learned from the Bible early on in my deconstruct, reconstruct of my faith was that Jesus was murdered and crucified by the religious elite, all right? Not by the Jews. Jesus is a Jew, all right? That's ridiculous. Get that very clear. Um, I shared in some of my own story how incredibly difficult it was to go into that pain and to actually address those memories and rewalk through them and realize that I was just a kid, you know, that that shouldn't have happened to me, that, that I, I didn't deserve that. It wasn't my fault. And, um, you know, God demonstrates his love, you know, that, that part in Romans, while we were yet sinners, you know, God demonstrated love on a cross. It's difficult. It's hard. It hurts. Jesus even asks, can this cup pass, right? God knows what that feels like. The creator of the universe put on skin, put on flesh incarnate walked among us and that's the good news you know it's he's not distant he's close the religion is distant but but the love of god is close right up in your heart man right up near you god cares about you immensely more than you know the way that we work out our habitual stuff Man, how do you love? I love that song. This is a new song by the band Shine Down. I'm going to leave you with that bumper. And uh, it's just kind of a, it stirs the heart towards, you know, there's a lot of gray in this world. How do you love, right? That'll be the question. That'll be the judgment in our hearts, the good creation that God made, the new creation that God makes through our relationship with with Christ as Christians, um, whether you're a Christian or not, how do you love? How do you define love? How do you define freedom? I say that a lot. Those are huge questions. Uh, again, the Snap Network uh, can be found at snapnetwork.org. Uh, David Colossi is the director. Uh, they have a big conference coming up in Poland here in November. 
uh, for sexual abuse victims. You can go onto the website here and share your story. If uh, anything like this has happened to you, it's just a great community of people who want to love on those whose trust has been obliterated um, and, and just to help rebuild, help us understand our humanity a little. Uh, thanks again for listening. And again, ASI247.org is the website. Um, the music, the bumper music that I play on the show can be found at ASI247.org. Click on the music tab and you can actually download the music from there. Uh, also, links to some of the band's websites where you can see them uh, if they come to your town on tour. I wanted to start adding that because uh, I was able to speak to some musicians recently and they were saying that, hey, you know, we make money on touring, not so much uh, recorded copies of music anymore. The technology has changed. So I wanted to give back in that way as well. I love you guys. I mean that sincerely. Till next time. Bye.